So welcome to Plodcast, episode 108. Great to have you with us. So I want to talk a little bit about um, uh, the trans, uh, transsexual thing. Uh, and and I'm not, I don't want to talk so much about the, uh, whatever that temptation is or whatever the desire uh, is to be the opposite sex or to dress like the opposite sex or to undergo surgery or whatever. Uh, that's not the uh, striking thing about this. Uh, we've always had people in every generation, every era, we've always had people that wanted to go in that kind of direction. This, that part is nothing new. Um, what is new is the um, culture-wide hysteria, the collective hysteria over the subject, su such that um, recently a, uh, I think he was an actor or some sort of, um, I think he's an actor, he, he commented that he thought allowing three-year-olds to make decisions about their gender identity was a bit young, don't you think? You know, it's not, look, we, we don't let them buy tobacco at that age. We don't let them buy whiskey at that age. We don't let them get tattoos at that age. So why on earth would we let them decide, I would like to be a girl, or, or I would like to be a boy, or um, uh, if, if um, uh, someone approaching adolescence starts taking puberty blockers, um, how is that not child abuse? Uh, adolescence is not a disease. All right? Adolescence is not a disease. Now, there, like I said, there have always been people who are mixed up and confused and disoriented, and there, there, there are people that struggle with gender dysphoria and all that. That's not the issue. The issue is, that, and that's not where the hysteria is. The hysteria is in the public outcry. This guy who said, man, I, I don't think three-year-olds ought to be making that decision. He was forced to apologize for his hateful conduct, for his hateful speech. And the only way you can get someone to apologize for, for saying something that is manifestly um, normal, manifestly reasonable, is if the whole country has gone mad. Um, basically. Uh, Twitter, news outlets, uh, all the places where people look for um, responsible discourse, they start yelling at this guy, and so he backs down. He, he backs away right away. That, what that means is that the country, as a country, has lost its mind. The country, as a country, has lost its mind. We've not, lo we've not lost our mind because we have people in it who want to be the other sex. We've always had that. That's not anything new. What's new is the society at large deciding uniformly that if you want that, then you are to be affirmed. And anybody who thinks that you shouldn't want that, they are the diseased one. They are the, they are the sinful one. They are the wicked one. And they are the ones that we're going to come down on. So um, we're, we're dealing... And now... The good news is this, every form of collective hysteria, and that's what this is, uh, this, um, you know, we're talking about rapid onset gender dysphoria, where all of a sudden, you know, all the kids at school are talking about it, and all of a sudden your kid is talking about it, and what, where did this come from? 
And so we've got this rapid onset thing. Well, 20 years ago, we weren't talking about this at all. 10 years ago, we weren't t- dealing with this. And anybody who, predict, anybody who predicted that we would be talking about th- this would, would have been dismissed back in the day as uh, an alarmist, right? Uh, but here we are. The whole, our whole society has gone over the edge of a cliff. We are in the midst of a collective hysteria. Now, that means that when the spell breaks, well, first thing, being of this nature, um, being an emotional fit, being a, a hysterical reaction across the whole culture, that means that it cannot, that's not sustainable. That's not going to stay. Uh, the fit is going to pass. And when the fit passes, People are going to say, what were we thinking? What was that about? Unfortunately, they're going to say, what were we thinking? What was all that about? With um, people who still have 60 years of life ahead of them, um, maimed by doctors who were um, after a quick buck. Uh, it's just, and that's some, some people, it, they're not participants in the, in the hysteria at all. They're just, they just have their eye on the main chance. Uh, but the, the virulent reaction that people get when, they're, when their faith in this sort of thing is challenged, nothing but hysterics. All right, continuing, podcast episode 108. We are in our homartiology section. Um, our study of the various Greek words for sin or sinful activities. The word apistos is rendered in a number of different ways, but all of them relate to the sin of unbelief. We've been looking at uh, a number of different words that are related to this particular sin, the sin of um, not believing or the sin of unbelief. Paul refers to, to those that believe not in the context of marriage. A Christian spouse is not bound if he or she has a husband or wife who doesn't believe, and who does not want to remain married. That's 1 Corinthians 7, um, 12 and 13. If you're married, if you became a Christian, and your spouse isn't interested in this at all, and doesn't want to be married to a Christian, Paul says, don't sweat it, let them go. Um, the same word is rendered as unbelieving three times in the next two verses. That's in 1 Corinthians 7, 14 and 15, still referring to the non-Christian spouse. If someone who believes not invites a Christian to a feast, he should, he should certainly feel free to go, 1 Corinthians 10, 27. So don't worry about what they're going to serve you. Don't worry about uh, the meat. The meat is not demon-possessed, even if it was offered to an idol. Don't worry about that. If you want to go to the feast, then go. The gift of tongues was given for those who believe not, 1 Corinthians 14, 22 and 24, while prophecy is for believers. We can see the impact of a right use of these gifts if an unbeliever comes into the service, 1 Corinthians 14.23. And I'll just say in passing that the tongues were a sign for the unbeliever, uh, and this is all taken from Isaiah 28. Uh, Isaiah Isaiah, uh, says that when you hear uh, strange language, a strange language being spoken in the streets of your city, this is a sign of military judgment. You didn't understand when I was prophesying to you in English. Maybe you will understand it when I prophesy to you in Russian. That, that's the import of Isaiah's prophecy in Isaiah 28. 
Then in the, on the day of Pentecost, the gift of tongues is given, and the streets of Jerusalem are full of people speaking in other languages, which was a sign of judgment on Jerusalem, which is why in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says that it's a sign for unbelievers. The word is translated as unbelieving in two places. Nothing is pure for the defiled and unbelieving, Titus 1.15. The lake of fire is reserved for, among others, the unbelieving, Revelation 21.8. Another rendition is faithless, and we have one example of this from each gospel. When his disciples could not heal a demon-possessed boy, Jesus lamented his, his perverse and faithless generation. That's in Matthew 17.17, 17, Mark 9.19, Luke 9.41. And in the Gospel of John, Jesus told Thomas not to be faithless, but rather to believe. That's in John 20, verse 27. The word can also mean unbeliever. The servant who abuses the others will be assigned a portion with the unbelievers, Luke 12, 46. The apostle was appalled that the Corinthian Christians were willing to go to law against each other before unbelievers, 1 Corinthians 6, 6. We are not to be yoked together with unbelievers, 2 Corinthians 6, 14. And the same word is rendered as infidel in the next verse, 2 Corinthians 6.15. And a man who does not care for his own family is worse than an infidel, in 1 Timothy 5.8. So the God of that age had blinded the minds of those who had not believed, 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. And in one place, Paul uses the word to refer to a thing incredible, uh, Acts 26.8, referring to unbelief in the resurrection. Why do you, th why do you think it is... Uh, an incredible thing or an unbelievable thing. So there you go. Okay, so for my book review um, uh, this time around, I, w I want to uh, review a book that I'm, sh I'm sure I reviewed earlier in all of these podcasts, but I'm going to do it again. And the reason I'm going to review this book again is because I just finished reading it again. Uh, I, I don't. Um, I have a lot of books to read, and I have a stack I want to get through. And so consequently, uh, if I reread a book, if I um, read and reread and go over again, um, that says a lot. Uh, I, I can only point to a handful of books that, you know, oh, that was so good, you get, you, you get uh, done with it, and you go right back to the first page, and you start over. Um, John Piper's God is the Gospel was like that for me. I just read it, and then I started over, started reading it again. Uh, certain books repay uh, repeated visits. This is one of them. The book I'm referring to is Planet Narnia by Michael Ward. Planet Narnia, Michael Ward. I read this a number of years ago. I read it when it first came out and um, really, really enjoyed it. I would put it, I would put Planet Narnia in my top five books I've ever read. It, it's uh, just a wonderful book, so informative and so helpful in understanding uh, Lewis and the way he approached the whole subject of Narnia. It's just a great book. Loved it. Uh, well, um, I just uh, recently uh, went through the book again. This time I listened to it on Audible. So the first time I read the book and, and then um, uh, Michael Ward also wrote a sort of a street, popular level, street level uh, version of the same book. Um, called the Narnia Code. If you if you want to get his thesis and you don't have a lot of daylight to burn, get the Narnia Code. Um, uh, the, the planet Narnia is is an 
is a scholarly work, but it's accessible. It's not it's not dense. You you know you can you can read it. It's not um, it's not full of jargon. It's not stuff full of jargon. Um, it's a wonderful book. So then I I let uh, I listened to it and just uh, a few days ago, a week or so ago, finished listening to uh, Planet Narnia again. For those who uh, who are unfamiliar with the basic uh, thesis, um, Lewis was an uh, Lewis loved the medieval cosmology. He uh, he wrote um, he wrote a book. Uh, well, it was actually a series of lectures turned into a book. His his book, The Discarded Image, is a detailed scholarly discussion of the medieval cosmology, the sun, moon, planets, and all of that, and uh, and then in the Ransom Trilogy, he has a lot of the features of the medieval cosmology embedded in the, uh, in the narrative of the Ransom Trilogy. He was interested in getting, uh, in promulgating his understanding of cosmology to modern readers, and he, he did it in his uh, prose, and he did it in his, in his nonfiction prose, and he did it in his um, fiction. Well, Ward's thesis, and it's uh, his thesis, I call it a thesis, I would describe it as slam-dunk compelling. His thesis is slam-dunk compelling, uh, is that there are, seven, there are seven Narnia books, and, they, um, and each book is presided over by the spirit of one of the seven planets. So um, uh, Jove, for example, is the presiding, Jupiter or Jove, is the presiding uh, deity over the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. The horse and his boy is presided over by Mercury or Hermes. The um, voyage of the dawn treader, there it is right in the title, is presided over by the sun. The silver chair is presided over by the uh, moon. Uh, Prince Caspian is presided over by Mars, the magician's nephew uh, by Venus, and uh, the last battle by Saturn. Um, and so it's you might think, oh, there's something to that just by having someone tell you that because the, um, the flavor or the atmosphere of each book is very, uh, they're, they're all very different. Uh, the, what Michael Ward does is he takes a word, coins it, sort, sort of coins a word uh, or applies it to this and he calls it Donegality, uh, named after County Donegal in Ireland, a place where Lewis loved. And, uh, Lewis was very interested in the atmosphere of a place. So the Donegality is the way the whole thing feels. So um, Mars is the god of war, and he's also the god of woods. So woods and war are very much a feature of Prince Caspian. Um, the, um, in the silver chair, when, um, when they're down below in, in Underland, they, you remember, they go by uh, Father Time. In early, uh, in earlier manuscript, that was Saturn, and Saturn stands up and squeezes the sun in the last battle. Uh, that's that's a very Saturnine uh, approach, and the um, and the silver um, the Saturnine book is the uh, last battle. But Saturn himself makes an appearance in the silver chair. The silver chair is governed by the moon, and um, and 
the color silver is uh, part of this. Um, it's uh, uh, Luna is also uh, the god of um, that presides over lunatics. Uh, Prince Rillian is uh, uh, out of his out of his wits, and when he's in his right mind, he's actually acting like a lunatic. And so you've got that uh, double uh, double feature. If and and so what Ward is doing is he's, he's explaining why uh, J.R.R. Tolkien thought that the Narnia stories were basically a hodgepodge um, that Lewis would just sort of lick his pencil and and ta da look ma no hands and he would just crank them out and he threw all these he you know he threw everything in the fridge into the crockpot to see what would happen um, and what Ward shows is that this is. It looks like a hodgepodge, and if someone says it's a hodgepodge, yeah, you can you can see what they're talking about. But there's this internal coherence, an internal consistency, to all the books that make the books work. Nonetheless, the books really do work, and why do they work despite the hodgepodginess? Well, they work because uh, there is a deep artifice, a deep craft in all of them. And um, and you're going to come away from Narnia knowing a whole lot more about Narnia than you ever did before if you read this book. And you're going you're gonna to learn a whole lot about uh, our, word, our world as well. God You've spent a pleasant half hour with podcast proprietor Douglas Wilson. This podcast is produced by Canon Press. Please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite listening platform. To hear more from Doug, please visit canonpress.com.